0: Welcome back to another Thursday morning biogra- biographical episode. Um, man, I can't tell you guys. So I, I am so excited and honored about the things that God is doing on this podcast. The way that it's grown, the way that it continues to grow, and we're getting more and more. I can't. I can't even begin to tell you how excited I am about some of these guests that we have up now. We've had amazing guests until now, the the missionaries who've come on, the pastors, the ministers, the 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 people who have come on who have these incredible stories and incredible testimonies of what God is doing in their life just completely blows me away and I am so honored that they would come on and share their stories on this this little podcast that really just sort of started on a whim and I know I've talked about this a few times And it's because it honestly, it blows me away. The fact that whenever I started this thing, it was seriously, we were in the beginning of this whole pandemic, the whole quarantine, and I didn't know what to do. I was in the house, couldn't leave, didn't just was was so kind of bored out of my mind. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, what should I do today? And all of a sudden, I just, I had been thinking about doing a podcast for so long. And so this thought comes to my head, like, Hey, you should start that podcast you've been talking about for like, for years. And so I sit down and with that little snowball mic, and I just put it down there in the basement and do the intro. And then I do the, the, the St. Patrick episode, which just came out of notes that I had for uh, uh, a school that I do, a uh, um, missionary training school that I do, I pulled it out of there. I just pulled my notes up and I did this whole podcast on St. Patrick. And then I, uh, a couple days later, it was maybe a week later, my friend uh, from from Iraq, Jana, she comes and she she's here visiting and I said hey we should do an interview together for my podcast that I just started and she's all game for it. she said yeah let, let's go for it so we sit down again in the basement with that little snowball mic and we do this interview and the sound was terrible it was it was quite it was quite an experience I didn't know what I was doing I was nervous she was nervous I didn't really know what questions to ask I didn't know how to interview someone and uh and then there we go it all started let me turn down the levels on this mic I feel like it's A little bit too loud. There we go. Okay. And so now I've done multiple of these biographies. And I really am just... Man, the the biographies are awesome. But guys, the guests that we have coming on this show are blowing my mind. The people who are willing to say... Yes, the lineup over these next few weeks are just absolutely incredible. A lot of you, you know about Annie Lobert coming on the show, but now we also have Barry Maracle, who's going to be on in a couple weeks. We have Sam Childers, the machine gun preacher, coming on. He's the guy who uh, saves children in Sudan. He has the the that movie about him that Gerard Butler made called The Machine Gun Preacher, which you can watch on Netflix and everything. And we're well, right now I'm talking with Catherine Hayhoe, which you haven't, if you haven't heard of her, she is one of the top climate scientists in the world. And uh, she's happens to be an evangelical Christian. Her husband is a pastor and uh, she is interested that her, I've been talking to her assistant. the The thing with her is she's booked out until September of next year, 2021, but she's open to doing the show. And so we have these incredible guests who are coming on and are sharing their stories, and sharing about the miracles, and about the testimonies of what God is doing, and it's just absolutely incredible. I am so excited, and as I always do, thank you all for who are listening who are sharing who are telling people about this podcast because we're growing little by little we're bringing more and more people into into our little family here as we learn together as we hear testimonies together and it has been an honor and a wild ride just in these first few months that I've been doing this and I know it's going to continue to grow as I'm I'm inviting more people I have invited more people and I'm not going to I'm not going to name their names just in case they they decline the offer because a lot of times people do they're they're too busy or they, I mean, a lot of people, honestly, a lot of people just don't know what a podcast is. And they hear about it and they just think it sounds like this weird thing, and so they're not interested because it it's not the traditional sit down kind of interview. And I've had some people that I've invited that they they say the interview is just too long. They're not willing to do an hour interview or an hour and a half. And so we're just we're just not at that point yet. But guys, if you if you help me build this, if you help me to continue inviting people like you are, continue telling your friends about it, continue wearing those OG Revival Carrier shirts for those of you who bought them. If you continue doing that, this is going to keep growing and the The more it grows, the more uh, the more people will be willing to come on, and the more guests we can get that are going to be just amazing. And so, uh, and it's nothing. It's not. I'm not trying to criticize these. Uh, any of the guests at all who have said no. Well, I guess they're not guests that the people who have said no, the fact is, and I understand this myself because I, I do run a nonprofit. I run, a, I run a missions organization. This podcast is my, I don't know what you want to call it. It's the, the thing that I do on the side, although it takes up an incredible amount, <laughs> the amount of time that this thing takes is so much more than I ever thought it would. Whenever I started, I honestly thought, Oh, well, I'll just throw up a microphone. I'll take out this little, this snowball mic. I'll just record some podcasts and that was it but it has turned into an extremely time consuming thing that's almost like a it's almost a full time job in itself the amount of time that i put into it yesterday was just hours and hours and today as well it'll be several hours for me to set everything up and to record the podcast and edit and get it all ready to go and so uh, it's just It has turned into this thing, but it has become a serious, serious passion project for me that I love. And I would love to see it grow to the point where we can get some even more amazing guests and uh, continue to have more people coming on who are interested and excited to be a part of it. And so I just want to say that I appreciate all of you guys and everything that you're doing. Now, since the last bio episode on Johann Bach, things have been really, really busy. And I know Uh, some of you know a bit of my story and the current situation that my wife and I have been. But for those of you who aren't aware, my wife and I, we lived overseas for about the first 13 years of our marriage. And she's from Panama. I was a missionary there. But then I started this missionary organization called Found Ministries, which I I mentioned that that's the organization that I run full time. I started that in 2013. And that grew slowly until over the next few years, it grew slowly until I got to the point where I needed to start st- spending more time here stateside. And so in about 2016, we started dividing our our time between being overseas and being here in the states. So we'd be here in the states for about six months doing speaking tours, visiting, visiting supporters, and just uh, working on the the structure of the ministry because you have to have structure we had to we had to build it right uh, we were reaching a lot of people but we had gotten to the point where we couldn't do it on our own anymore and we needed to bring in more staff we needed to start doing training schools so we started doing training a mission the mission's core course and uh, doing seminars the school of the presence and mission seminars and all these things around the states and then six months where we were overseas where i was going to places like thailand and iraq and turkey and colombia and all these different places that i was going and those first few years that we were here in the States, we were in Texas because that's where my whole family is. It's where I grew up. However, we met some amazing friends here in Pennsylvania. And there's an awesome church here, here called Dubois Light and Life that we they invited us to come up and do one of our seminars, which is called the School of the Presence. And we just fell in love with the area, with the people, and we just decided to partner with them. And so it actually, uh, it's almost a year to the day that we moved up here to Pennsylvania and just to kind of give you an idea of the way that whole story has gone is whenever we were on our way we were driving with our two kids my wife and I and our two kids and everything that we owned that we could fit in our car we drove up it's a two-day drive if you're going fast we drive for about 10 hours one day spend the night in a hotel another eight to ten hours the next day and we were driving up, and the expectation for the months, because we had been overseas for the months leading up to our move here to, to Pennsylvania, so the way that we were preparing was visiting with the people, or, or online, talking to people from the church here, who have been a, a actually one of them, I hope to have all of them as guests on the show, but right now, the, the one that's coming up is going to be Katie Beard, she, we're having an interview with her, and well, that's going to be a few weeks from now. And they were helping us set everything up. And they had been talking with this church who was going to let us rent their, um, what's it called, the, the host home that they had. And so when we were driving up, we had this expectation that we were going to rent a a host home from a local church. And then while we were there, we were going to be building, uh, preparing, t- and finding a place for ourselves to live. And we we drove all the way here thinking that, and literally when we pulled into the church parking lot... We found out that the woman who had been communicating with us from the other church never actually spoke to her leaders about it. And when they heard about it, which was like the day that we were driving up, they weren't in agreement with the arrangement. And so my wife and two kids and I, after driving for two days, we're exhausted. We're, we're just ready to collapse in a bed somewhere. We get here and we're told that the we actually don't have a house. We actually don't have a place to rent. We actually have nowhere to go. We're actually homeless. And thankfully, there was a woman in the church named Brenda Libertori and her husband, uh, Donnie. They were, they were so gracious and taking us in for those first few weeks. But for us, we were homeless. All of a sudden, we had left everything in Texas, had come here. He'd left Panama. And we were homeless. And that was a year ago, almost to the day. And since then, we have been homeless just sort of bouncing from house to house. We've been in three, maybe four different houses now. Each one we've stayed in for a few months at a time and then we 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 moved to another house and have been trying to look for houses we because we're missionaries, no bank would give us a loan. It was just we we couldn't get a traditional loan at all. There was there was just no way to get a house. And rent for us is too expensive because, again, we're missionaries. We don't have a lot of monthly income. And so because of that, we just kept moving forward in faith. Even many, well, I don't think probably most of the of you listeners don't even know that I, if you've watched or listened to the interviews, you've heard me say several times we're in a host home. Well, all of these places that I've been recording, the shed, all this is not ours. These are all host locations, people who have been so gracious to let us stay in their home and use their their spaces to do this podcast. And so, uh, like I said, up, up for about, for a year, almost to the day now, we've been homeless. And so as we see Christmas approaching, we're getting closer and closer. We've gone into this sort of, we we went into this beast mode over the past, I wanna say two, three weeks. And we have been determined just in faith, standing, praying, fasting, seeking God to have our own place by Christmas. And so we've spent every single day since the last bio episode that you heard scouring the streets. We have spent every single day driving up and down streets, talking to everybody we know, talking to realtors, talking to homeowners, renters, anybody asking who, if anyone's willing to sell a house or if anyone knows of a house for sale. So it has, it has been just flat out crazy. So hectic and, uh, so, and then, and then we're going to North Carolina We're we're heading to North Carolina, um, like tomorrow. And so we're going to be driving there. We're going to visit my brother and sister-in-law where I'm hoping to do a couple interviews while I'm there. That's when the interview with Sam Childers is going to happen. And I'm hoping to get that interview with, with Torben Sondergaard, but they, I just found out that they're moving their base location and they're had these campaigns they are doing. So he might not be available yet. And so I'm trying to do these interviews. So it has been a wild wild couple of, of weeks guys but i do have some good news and i don't want to celebrate i will tell you i'll tell you for sure as these interview you uh, in probably in a couple of weeks but as of yesterday it seems like we have an, indeed found a house finally and i just please all of you be praying that it goes smoothly there's we found somebody who did not have a house for sale but they are they have been very nice and have been willing to sell it to us And it's a fixer-upper, but man, it would be our own place. And it has its, guys, it has its own shed in the back. And that shed in the back, I plan on turning into my podcast studio so that the episodes that you listen to can have better sound quality. For those of you who watch on YouTube, you will have a much nicer view to look at rather than just the computer sitting on a piece of trash and just sort of the wood beams that are all around me in this other shed. I'm going to make the other one nice. It's going to be a great little studio. So just be praying, pray that it goes well, pray that it goes smoothly. If it does, that we'll probably close on it in a couple weeks and it will be man, one year to finally have our own house. It is going to be such a huge blessing. So just be praying for us and uh it, I'm I'll keep you guys updated those of you who are listening on the way it on the way this is all going. Now, I know that in the last bio episode I had mentioned that I might do an episode on Isaac Newton on the last in the last bio that I did. I had always heard that he was a Christian, so I thought that he would be an interesting person to do a podcast on because I had just done one on Bach, and he was a a composer, a musician, and so I thought, man, it'd be cool to do a scientist, but uh, the more I actually started preparing for an episode on him, I sat down, I got my little notebook out, and I started researching and just trying to learn more about him, uh, and I learned that while he did believe in God, and he may have been a Christian, his beliefs were pretty far outside what we would consider normal or stable Christian doctrine. Uh, this podcast is is one hundred percent certainly not non-denominational. Some of you guys have heard some of the guests that I've had on, some of the guests I'm going, some of the guests that are lined up. They have different doctrines, but I am a strong believer in unity as long as they are, we have the same essential doctrines. So the essential doctrines being that Jesus is the one and only Son of God, that He came, He uh, was born of a Virgin Mary, died on a cross, His blood was shed for us sin, He was not an angel, He was not the brother of Satan, He was not just uh, some spirit being, He was not just some force, He was the only Son of God, and He is the only true way to heaven. And I don't believe in any of the other masonic or mormonism or jehovah's witnesses or any of that stuff so but if a person for example i believe in miracles i believe in the power of god i believe in healing i believe that the holy spirit still moves as an active and is active today which i hope is evident in some of these people that we have looked at and some of the the guests that i've had on the show but there are some people that i will gladly interview that i am excited to talk to who don't believe in those things but they do believe in jesus and they do believe that he is the son of god and so I I believe in unity and if if we disagree on certain non essential doctrines, I am more than happy to partner with and work with and do all of those things and do interviews and learn and because I believe that every stream in the kingdom of God has something to offer. I think it is unwise to believe that your denomination or your doctrine is the know all doctrine that is out there, the know-all stream that is out there, and that everyone else is is wrong or going to hell. That I know some doctrines that believe everyone else is going to hell. And so I don't believe that. I believe that we're sons and daughters of God. Some of us just see different aspects of God and have understood. Some of us have had revelations on things of God. Some people have not. Some people haven't seen. Some people don't believe in miracles because they've never seen one, but if they saw one, they would be open to it. They would believe. And so uh, some of the guests I'm going to have, they're going to be different from us. They're going to be different from me. They're going to be different from probably the majority of my listeners, but we are still going to honor them and respect them. And so I know this may seem like a bit of a tangent, but the reason I say that is because Isaac Newton, he was uh, he was be- he was beyond those things. He was beyond those essential doctrines and the stuff that he believed. He believed in a lot of astrology, things that we would call witchcraft now. He believed in some some twisted things. And so because of that, I decided not to go into Newton and I decided to do a a bio on one of my favorite men of God, which is, who is Charles Finney. Oh man, my camera just fell. Sorry, those of you who are watching, let me put this back on for you. Okay. I'm not even going to edit this out because I like this to be real. As long as it's still recording, we should be good. Okay. I think you guys are good. Okay. Okay. So at least those of you who are listening just heard that bang and that was it. that was the camera falling over because the camera for those of you, if you're watching on youtube and i hope it doesn't fall again we'll see what happens i i uh, have the camera it is sitting on a dog food container being propped up by the box to this microphone the the q2u microphone that i use for this podcast which if you want to buy, you can, you can, I have Amazon links there <laughs> to help support this podcast. And so uh, if the camera falls again, for those of you who are watching on YouTube, I am very, very sorry. I'm again, this is, this is what we got until I get my fancy studio. All right. Where we, this is guerrilla podcasting right here. And it's going to get, when I interview Sam Childers, it's going to be even more so. Okay. So, uh, we're going to be talking about Charles Finney. And this was a really, really tough one to prepare. The reason why this one was so tough to prepare is because Charles Finney is one of my heroes, and I have studied this guy for so many years, and I've read so many books, so many testimonies about him that I I went, I was writing and writing and writing, and I realized, oh my goodness, there's so much information on him. And he's unlike, like Bach, I didn't really know anything about Bach whenever I started doing the, the, the study on him. So it was easy for me to just sort of lay out the teaching or lay out the whole session on him, the podcast on him but charles finney i know too much about him and so it was really hard to decide what to put in and what what not to put in so for those of you who want to know more just again this is probably the best book on him it's called the original memoirs of charles finney and it is by garth m russell and richard a dupuis or Dupois, however you want to say his name it's called The Original Memoirs of Charles G. Finney and it's got it's a got a green cover, it's got a picture of Charles Finney on the front. This is his his memoirs, his autobiography. And he wrote this when he was older. These are his words and I'll tell you what every single page of it will rock you. It is absolutely a mind-blowing book. And so if you want to get this, there there are if you look in the description of the the show, they are in the show notes and you can buy it on Amazon. It isn't too expensive. And of course, you guys know, those of you who are regular listeners, that those are Amazon links and they're affiliate links. I get a small percentage whenever somebody buys something off of that, off of there. And again, that's just to support this show so that I, I can upgrade and maybe get a, a nicer tripod for my, my, or maybe get an actual camera instead of my phone and things like that. And just keep upgrading, keep making this better quality for you guys. So if you're interested, this book is I'm telling you, it is awesome. The Amazon links are there. I'm trying to be creative in funding the show. Uh, I know some of you guys, you love this show, and I'm get regular. i getting regular feedback now as we grow, which I am just loving. I'm really excited. And buying these books, or again, there are also Amazon links to the microphones or to the Zoom H6 or the different things that I, different equipment pieces that I use. And if you decide to buy those things or start your own podcast or something, that it helps me out significantly if you... Um, if you buy them. So, okay. Now let's just dive in. Charles Finney, he was born on August 29th, 1792 in Warren, Connecticut. And it always amazes me how you can look up any random year and there's always so much that happened. In In 1782, which is 10 years before, he, before Finney was born, the U.S. Postal Service was created and they charged... Between six and twelve cents for postage, and it depend on how far, how depending on how far the letter had to go. Of course, it's the same today. The I think I have my dates here mixed up. It's all set, sorry. This is all seventeen ninety two. I don't know why I said seventeen eighty two. I just it's a typo on my notes here. Seventeen ninety two, the U.S. Postal Service was created. The United States Mint was also created that year. That's whenever the first U.S. currency began to be produced, which was believe it or not, they weren't called dollars in the beginning. They were called eagles. The first U.S. currency was a $10 eagle, a $5 half eagle, and a $2.50 eagle, and then there were um, quarter eagle coins, they were gold coins, and there was the silver dollar, the half dollar, the quarter, the dime, and the half dime. There were no pennies back then. And by the way, if you happen to own one of those $10 eagle coins from the 1790s, they are worth an incredible amount of money. So if your grandma has one stored away somewhere, There was a 1792 gold Eagle coin that sold at an auction in 2018 for $1,740,000. That was me just drinking my, it looks like I'm drinking coffee, but I'm drinking water. Actually, the New York stock exchange was created by a group of merchants that year. The guillotine was first used in France, and the first man executed by it was a highwayman named Nicolas Pelletier. This is all the stuff that happened whenever Finney was born in that same year. That's a lot of stuff. There isn't a whole lot of stuff about Finney's childhood that we know much about. We know that he was the youngest of nine children. We know that his his parents were farmers. Whenever Finney was about two years old, his parents moved from where he was born to Western New York, and that's where he grew up and where he spent most of his life. This podcast is going to be a little bit different. I want to let you guys know now because, uh, you know, most of the other podcasts, I go into a lot of detail about where people moved to and what they were doing in certain areas, and that's it's a little bit different in this one because Finney pretty much stayed in the same region his whole life. He did travel. Of course, he was a very, very famous evangelist, revivalist. He did travel and he did have different positions, but I really want to focus more on the revival aspect that he was in, the miracles and the way that God moved because time time is, is a resource, right? Time is real estate in these podcasts and I, d- I didn't want to spend a lot of time saying oh he traveled from this place to this place and so on because I really wanted to be able to um just just straight out go go for the revival right go for the things that that uh, God was doing and I just realized I think I know where my phone is falling off and I'm sorry i I try to be more prepared this time i'm I'm very prepared actually but I just realized why my phone keeps fa- was falling off it's because I have don't have the do not disturb so those of you who are watching, So for those of you who are watching, that is what's going on. There we go. I think we're fixed. Put my camera back up because I can hear it buzzing over there. So there, I think we should be good. Okay. Hopefully it won't fall off again. (laughs) All right. Now, again, we don't know a lot about Finney's childhood. He was was raised in Western New York. And like I said, we're not going to spend a ton of time talking about travels. We're going to focus more on the miracles and uh, the revival and his relationship with God and how he became a believer. And again... Get this book if you want to. If you want all the details and way more miracles than I can talk about now, because his whole life, like every single day, was revivals. It, it was just, it just so much. Before Finney became a Christian, he was actually a Freemason, and he rose to the third level of Freemasonry, which is called a Master Mason, and that isn't very far into Freemasonry. If you don't know, there are actually thirty-three degrees of Freemasonry and that'd be a fun topic to go into wouldn't it for a lot of years actually i have taught on religions and cults and missions courses and freemasons are some of the craziest for sure but that doesn't fit into this show maybe one day i've thought about it we'll see maybe one day i'll do another show and i'll teach on on that kind of stuff uh, i used to teach in these missions courses on cults and religion religions and so uh, minor religions i should say And so there's, there's a lot of information there, but don't worry when, when I'm not going to get into that right now. So whenever he left, he actually did leave Freemasonry. So whenever he got saved, he left it and he actually said it was heretical. And not only was he very anti-Freemasonry, but he was actually part of large anti-Mason movements. He wasn't someone like George Washington, who a lot of people think was a Christian, but he actually was a Freemason. And also, just, this is just a quick note, because I always look up these little details whenever I'm preparing for these podcasts, because they fascinate me, and I hope they fascinate you. The number of Freemasons have been dropping a little bit every single year throughout the United States, but according to their last internal census, which was 2017, the last one that they published anyway, there are still over 1,076,000 Freemason members in the United States. I don't know who these people are. who 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 would still be a Freemason these days? And I read an article... Again, as 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 I was preparing for this, I read an article about the person who's still a Freemason. He is like the the head poobah of the the Freemasons, and he was talking about how, uh, God, not God, he was talking about how it's fun for him because he gets to dress up in all these ceremonial robes and stuff, and that's evil. Uh, Freemasonry is evil. Okay, I'm not going to go into it too much, but. It's evil, but it's just funny because they still dress up in all their costumes and do all their goofy stuff that they do. Charles Finney, he was always an intellectual. Before getting saved, he went to school to be a lawyer. Debating and arguing was something he always did and he always enjoyed. Finney, in his own words, said that the pastor of his church, a man named Mr. Gale, would come to his law office during the week and that Finney, and he would ask what Finney thought of his service on Sunday, his, his sermon. And Finney said, these are his own words in this book, I used to converse with him freely and now think that I sometimes criticized his sermons unmercifully. This pastor, he must have had alligator skin because not too many pastors would go week after week to talk to somebody that they knew was just going to tear apart their sermon and criticize him. Finney was a lawyer. He knew how to argue and debate, and he was not a believer. So this pastor would come and ask him for his opinion on the sermon, and charles would sit there and point out his flaws he said i raised such objections against his position and forced and that forced themselves upon my attention by conversing with him and asking him questions i perceived that his own mind as i thought was mystified and that he didn't accurate, accurately define the terms he used further down in the passage it says what did he mean by repentance? Was it a mere feeling of sorrow for sin? Was it altogether a passive state of mind? What did he mean by the term regeneration? What did he mean by sanctification? These are the questions that he would ask this pastor, and he asked a lot of other questions that are here in the book. However, Pastor Gale did not start uh, he, he did start to have an effect on Finney after a while. It, he must have seen something. The Lord must have spoken to him or something because he saw something in Finney or maybe he just saw that Finney was sincere even though he was arguing, criticizing. But after a while, Finney started to change because of these visits from Pastor Gale, And because Finney was a lawyer, the Old Testament law fascinated him. So he went, he bought a Bible And he started going to weekly prayer meetings at Pastor Gale's church. He said that he had this feeling that even though he didn't understand why people believed in the Bible, that there must be something very important about religion in general. So he was looking for truth. It's interesting because while he was attending the prayer meetings and diving into the Bible, the one thing that really kept him from becoming a Christian and not being able to believe was because, and again, these are his words, He said, I was particularly struck with the fact that the prayers I listened to in their prayer meetings from week to week were not that I could see answered. I could readily understand this because of their continued prayers and by the remarks that they made in their meetings that they did not regard their prayers as answered. He was every week going to the same meeting And he kept hearing these ladies pray and pray for the same thing and never getting answers. And this didn't make sense to him because if God is real and his people can talk to him, why aren't they getting answers? I I think that this is actually probably a question that a lot of non-believers have. Honestly, I think that a lot of Christians feel the same way. They just don't say it out loud. But a lot of Christians are not honest about their questions with God because they think that God's getting mad at them for for asking or something like that. But I believe that God is okay with us asking the hard questions. He probably welcomes them because then we can settle it. And Fenny was not afraid to ask the hard questions. Uh, So the question is, why isn't God answering when they pray? That's what Fenny wants to know. And they came up with all... people, People who question this, oftentimes, all they do is they come up with reasons why. People ask, okay, God didn't answer my prayers, so then people come up with these responses that allow them to still believe in God, even though he's not answering them, which is the things you hear in a lot of conservative doctrines. God doesn't move today. Miracles don't happen anymore. They died with the disciples or the apostles, or the big one, whenever you're in, when you're in circles that believe in miracles, but people aren't getting their miracle, that the response is, oh, well, it's either God is trying to test me, or God, uh, or I'm not ready. It's not God's timing. He wants to teach me a lesson, even though that timing is apparently forever because it goes on and on and on. The people never get their answers and they they always just keep saying, God, it's like 20 years later, they are praying for the same thing, still don't have the answer. And they're just saying, oh, well, God's teaching me patience. I don't believe that. Finney was not having any of that. He didn't believe that either. He figured that if they were going to talk to God and if God is all powerful, he should at least be talking back. And he said in his autobiography, their inconsistency with their professions The fact that they prayed so much and were not answered was a sad stumbling block to me. I knew not what to make of it. It was a question in my mind whether I was to understand that these persons were not truly Christians and therefore did not prevail with God, or whether I misunderstood the promises and teachings of the Bible on this subject, or whether I was to conclude that the Bible was not true it seemed to me that the teachings of the Bibles did not at all accord with the facts that were before my eyes. Did you ever think about that? The fact that your lack of getting answers to your prayers could be the very reason someone else does not get saved? Think about this. After having attended these meetings for a good while, the ladies of this prayer group asked Finney if he would like them to pray for him. Listen listen to his response. I told them, I suppose that I need to be prayed for, for I am conscious that I am a sinner, but I do not see that it will do any good for you to pray for me, for you are continually asking and do not receive. You have been praying for revival of religion ever since I have been here in Adams. That's the name of the town he was in. And yet you have it not. You have been praying for the Holy Spirit to descend upon yourselves and yet complaining of your leanness. You have prayed enough since I have attended these meetings to have prayed the devil out of Adams. If there is any virtue in your prayers, but if there is any virtue in your prayers, but you are praying on and complaining still. Ironically, though, unlike a lot of people who would have made that observation and just walked away from God entirely, Finney decided to study the Bible for himself even further and figure out what was going on based on his own research rather than what people told him. And it was the study of Scripture on his own that actually totally changed his life. And this, guys, let this be a lesson to all of us. We can't just listen to what other people tell us or look at the results of other people's lives. We need to go to God, and we need to go to Scripture and get it ourselves. And so he went into Scripture, and he studied, and he studied, and he studied. And the way that he used the term after studying the Scripture out on this topic he is, is it struck him. Today we would say that it was downloaded, or it was it was illuminated to us, or whatever term that you use nowadays. There, there's always new terms for the ways God God moves, but it's all semantics. It's all the same thing, whatever you want to call it. God gave him a revelation, and that revelation was the reason was the reason that these women were praying and praying without receiving. Get ready for this. This could change your whole life right here. This has definitely changed the way that I pray. The reason that these women were praying and praying without receiving was because they were praying with no expectation of actually receiving their answer. At its core, faith is expectation. If you pray and don't expect to have the answer, you don't have faith. Finney said that the Holy Spirit kept pressing on his heart, Jeremiah 29 verse 13, which says that when you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me and he realized that the whole issue there was with the word when the time frame in which your prayer was set was the time frame in which god would answer because that was where your expectation from was from therefore if you ask god for something so listen if you ask god for something and you expected god to hear you now your response would come now but if you believe that god wasn't going to answer you for years you wouldn't get it. you would not get it for years. His his whole success, his whole doctrine, his whole belief in the faith was settled on the whole verse of as your faith be, so be it unto you. That is what Jesus told different people who asked him for healings. And it was then, despite the failures of all the people in the church, that Finney finally settled in his heart that the Bible was true, that Jesus is the savior, and that he would follow him. He immediately changed dramatically. God immediately started pressing him to leave his law firm and go into the ministry. He was pressed by the glory of God so hard that he couldn't even contain himself physically. One day at church, actually, sorry, one day he was in his office. He's still a lawyer. He was in his law office and one day a church member came to visit him in his law office and they found him weeping out loud in his office. And they asked him, they're asking, are you in pain? Is, is something hurting? Is something wrong with you? Because he was weeping in his office and he replied, no, but I am so happy that I cannot live. I'm so, have you ever heard that? I've heard some girls, whenever my, whenever my boys were really young and I was a missionary, whenever I was living in Panama, living as a, on a missions base, there were girls who would see my little boys when they were like one or two. There was this one girl in particular, and uh, she she would say, He's so cute, I just want to die. That's that's exactly what Finney is saying. He's like, I am so happy I'm gonna die. And I love that. That that uh that saying still holds up, guys. So uh, he said, No, but I am so happy that I cannot live. So this man from the church, he didn't seem to know what to do. So he went out of the law office man he found one of the elders of the church and when he came back a few minutes later the elder he came in with this elder and the elder asked him what was going on how he felt what happened and finney said this he said i began to tell him instead of but instead of saying anything he fell into the most spasmodic laugh it seemed as if it was impossible for him to keep from laughing from the very bottom of his heart On another occasion, which was just in that same time frame, he was with another elder when a young man walked into the room, again, in his law office. Finney said that the young man stood there listening to him, and the elder talked for a moment, and then this young man fell to the ground in great agony of mind, screaming for Finney and the elder to pray for him. And after these things happened, Finney was so confused by these things that he wondered if he was going crazy. You have to keep in mind that this is this is only a hundred years after the Reformation. Calvinism was still dominant; was still the dominant doctrine in the church. William Carey, who's known as the father of modern missions, and we will do a podcast on him one day because he, he changed the world. He was just, William Carey was just then in the process of beginning to question the doctrines of John Calvin and predestination, which had wreaked havoc on the church and brought to a, a almost a complete halt to missions in the church entirely. Also remember, if you've li- if you've listened to my other bio episodes, that at this point, the, uh, the supernatural was almost unheard of in the church, and it would still be another hundred years before Agnes Osman would speak in ch- tongues for the first time in Topeka, Kansas, which if you haven't heard that story yet, you need to go listen to the Lucy Farrow episode and William Seymour. Those two episodes, they explain a lot of the stuff I just mentioned. In Finney's day, because of the manipulation of the Catholic church, and they're focused on the supernatural, the Protestant church had gone completely in the opposite direction. If you know much about the Catholic church and their beliefs, you will know that the Catholics still to this day, they put a lot of focus on the supernatural. You know, the whole, the face of Jesus appeared on my burnt toast, which is a real legit thing that people went forever. Or there was another house in Mexico, where the basement had mold, and the mold looked like the Virgin Mary, and so people were coming and touching the mold to be blessed, and all of this crazy stuff that happens it's to this day, stuff that still happens, but because of the the worship of people, these saints, these men and women of God who had moved in the power of God, that the Catholic Church turned into these saints and worshiped them and prayed to them, and all this idolatrous stuff that they do. The Protestant church would, during the Reformation when went, went the complete opposite direction. They didn't practice or teach miracles or the supernatural. They didn't teach that God was still active. Just as we see in these prayer meetings that Finney mentioned, it was so extreme that preachers, the, the going against showing any kind of emotion because of the the extremism that the Catholic church went to, the Protestants were so against showing emotion, so against anything emotional that in the days of Finney, the practice was that preachers would write down every line of their sermon and read them off the page purposefully in the most monotone way possible in order to avoid any accusation of manipulation. And Finney actually talks about this in his book, in his book, about how some of the services that he went to, that that's how the pastor, because he didn't preach that way, but that's how the pastors would be preaching. And he talked about everyone pretending to pay attention and pretending to stay awake and acting like they were super spiritual and acting a certain way to be spiritual, but there was actually no, nothing actually happening in their hearts. These these things were happening. um, So these things that were happening, to Finney, where people were falling down, screaming, people were laughing. Not only was it completely unheard of in Finney's day, but it would have been so shocking to Finney and everyone else around him, and it would have been extremely controversial. That it would have been people would have begun to criticize Finney immediately. And this is why Finney began to seriously wonder if he was going crazy and started to be very concerned about what was happening. And so Beside that, so oh, how do I say this? Whenever he, he thought that he was going crazy, and because of the doubt that happened, he said in his biography autobiography that he, not only did he st- whenever he started thinking that he was going crazy, a dark cloud came over his mind, and it started to really shut him down. He couldn't understand how he, as such a sinner as he was, so against God. How could he be seeing God respond and move the way that he was, the way that God was responding? He said that that, that night he went to bed feeling this dark cloud and almost immediately he fell, he fell asleep. He almost immediately woke up because the Holy Spirit suddenly filled him and began to question him strongly. This is, the Holy Spirit began to question Finney after saying that after all of that searching, all of those questions, all of those debates, and coming to this conclusion about faith and the truth of God, was he now, now that things were getting weird, was he going to start to doubt that God was true? And so because of this, Finney pulled himself back together. He told God that he would not doubt anymore. And it was through this experience, because of the Holy Spirit questioning him, because of the pressing of the Holy Spirit on his life, that he taught for the rest of his life that faith was a present experience. It was not something far off. I just want to add at this point that another thing taught during that period of the church was that sanctification or the washing away of one's sins was gradual they taught that you would get saved, but then you would slowly be molded and purified over by God over time. It was this concept that God was still disappointed in you because you were a sinner, but that he would work with you. It was this, this, this is where to this day, that whole mentality of God tolerates you, he loves you, but he doesn't really like you and he tolerates you. That's where that doctrine comes from. That comes from this early church belief that uh, you're slowly sanctified, that the, Jesus died for you on the cross and he forgives you, but you're not really set free from sin. And that doctrine, that belief from the Protestant church, that originally has its roots in the Catholic purgatory mentality, the the whole mentality of, or, or of paying penance as well, the You know how Catholic priests and monks, they used to flog themselves to pay for sins. They would torture themselves in order to make atonement for their sins. And the church and the Reformation, they didn't practice those things because they realized that that was not scriptural. But they still carried on this sort of emotional penance, this sort of uh, spiritual penance. It was the whole, you don't have to beat yourself to receive forgiveness for your sins, but you still need to be, um, what's like sad and you're still going to be in sin and you need to beat yourself up for the rest of your life because of the sins that you did. Most churches, uh, it was sort of like an emotional penance. Yeah. Most churches to this day still don't teach the cross totally sets you free and you're forgiven, believe it or not. So I know a lot of you who listen, you were raised in churches, or you have been in ministry, because I know a lot of my listeners are ministers who understand and believe that God sets you free as soon as you're, that you can be set free from sin as soon as you're saved. But a lot of churches, and I I hear this frequently because I I am very non-denominational, and I, like I said at the beginning of this episode, I very much respect and honor the beliefs of other people. I, I don't agree, but the I hear all the time this whole thing of, oh, I'm just a dirty, rotten, disgusting, awful sinner, and that God is just waiting to strike with lightning. God is just standing over you with a lightning bolt waiting for you to make the mistake that he knows you're going to make. And so people live in this constant feeling of, oh, I'm nothing, I'm worthless. Uh, what's that Bible verse? Uh, 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 Listen, oh, you worm. I think that's Jeremiah. But that's that's all Old Testament mentality. We're not worms anymore, guys. We were set free by the cross, and the Bible says that we are now priests. We are kings and priests. The Bible says that God is the king of kings. You know why he says that? It's not because he's the king of the current president of the United States, even though he is. It's because we are kings. Spiritually, we are kings, and he is the king of kings, which means he is our king. And so he is, we are not equal to him, we are under him, but we are kings under the king of kings. And so that mentality is just, it's old school, Old Testament, unscriptural thinking, and unfortunately, and Finney, he figured that out. The Holy Spirit revealed that to him, but unfortunately, the majority of the church still continues to live under this idea of you're just disgusting still, and God thinks you're disgusting, but because of Jesus, he'll put up with you, which is just, I'm, if you believe that, I am I am sorry for you, that you believe that. You need to change your thinking and realize who you are. And I say that because I love you, not because I'm criticizing you, because I really do want you to be set free in the Holy Spirit and be set free to understand who you are in God so you don't have to live under that dark cloud that Finney lived under for that, for that short period of time. One of the things that God showed Finney in this encounter was that all of the kingdom— and all of the promises of God are for now including freedom from sin and forgiveness. This is one of the most contentious parts of his ministry and to this day he is considered to be a heretic by a lot of churches because he taught that once you were that that once you were saved you were set free from sin and that God fully loved and fully approved of you not that you had to slowly fight your way out of it and earn the favor of God that he he taught the opposite of that. After this initial encounter, Finney was finally settled in his belief. He said, I did somehow know. I knew it with a certainty that was past all doubt or all possibility of doubt. And so I seem to know that the Lord commissioned me to preach the gospel. He's still a lawyer. And all of this, all this is happening. He is still a lawyer. His was, he was, his way of thinking was so different from many people because he had said from the that from the beginning when he was going to those prayer meetings that he had always thought that if he were to ever convert to Christianity that he would have to leave his profession to become a minister this goes back to God knowing us before we were ever formed in the womb he knows your he knows his thoughts and his plans for you, and those plans are to prosper you and to give you life. That's scripture. It's pretty amazing, really, that the Holy Spirit was lis- was whispering to Charles Finney about his call before he was even saved. In reference to his total ref- his total transformation, Finney said, "I found my mind entirely changed, and that a complete revolution had occurred within me." He no longer cared about money. He had no desire for worldly pleasures. All his thoughts and cares were about Jesus. All of a sudden, his whole career as a lawyer seemed pointless to him. What really got his ministry going, though, was not long after that. Finney decided to just, just like many of us have done, he decided just to go out on the streets and talk to whoever he could about his experience. And he found himself going into a shoemaker's shop. This shoemaker was one of the most powerful men of prayer that he knew. So he wanted to talk to him about what was happening. This actually reminds me of Brother Lawrence, who was a sandal repairer for monks. And people would come from everywhere just to watch him fix sandals because the presence of God was so powerful around him. When he came into the shoemaker shop, he found himself, well, he found the shoemaker in a debate with a universalist. And if you are unfamiliar with universalism, it really differs depending on the root belief system. Buddhists have a different way of describing it than Hindus, for example. In the United States right now, whenever someone uses that term, they're generally referring to the belief that all religions lead to salvation, that heaven is populated by all the gods who harmoniously cohabitate and Muslims, Buddhists, Christian, Hindus all go to the same place no matter what they believe on earth, and that, of course, is a ridiculous lie from hell. All of that said, that is not what universalists believed back in the early 1800s when this event with Finney took place. In Finney's day, despite the rampant sin, false doctrines, and witchcraft being practiced in the United States, it was still founded on Christian principles, and to be an American— or yeah, to be an American pretty much automatically meant that you were a Christian. Universalism in those days was the belief that Jesus died for everyone. Therefore, regardless of whether you believe in him or not in this life, you will be saved when you die. Nobody goes to hell. Everybody goes to Christian heaven. So it's not a universalism in the sense that there's... there's. Uh, a lot of gods, they still believe there's only one God, that, but they believe that everybody goes to Christian heaven. And this was the prevalent belief in Finney's day in the United States. And if you read his autobiography, he talks quite a bit about it and gives a lot more information than I can go into here for sure. And so when Finney came into the Shoemaker shop, they were debating this universalism. This Shoemaker invited Finney to weigh in, and Finney did so. And his answer was so sharp and cut so quickly through the universalist argument that the young man walked out of the shop, jumped over the fence, and ran into the woods. (laughs) That's how powerful this was. That's how powerful God was working in, in Finney's life and just his responses. It reminds me of Stephen and some of these apostles, how that the Bible talks about how the Pharisees would contend with them but the holy spirit was so mighty on on these apostles that they could not argue with the responses that Stephen gave because he had such holy spirit wisdom on him so the next day this this was uh, uh this was really a turning point for Finney, another turning point, I should say, because the next day he came back to Finney, his entire belief system of universalism was destroyed, and he gave his life to Jesus for real. And Finney realized at that moment that he needed to dedicate his life to the ministry, and he discovered how powerful the word of God is, and how just speaking a verse to someone could pierce their heart like an arrow. Those are his words. Another major turning point was when the Holy Spirit started speaking to Finney about the power of prayer, particularly about the, 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 a way of prayer called travailing, which is something pretty much not even practiced anymore. What happened was that, was that a, a Christian teacher came to Finney one day and told him that his unbelieving wife was dying and was not going to survive the night. And the idea that this woman was going to not only die in pain and sickness, but die without Jesus and go to hell hit Finney so hard that he went off by himself and he spent hours and hours in prayer for her. And travailing was when someone would pray for one thing hard. I mean, hard for hours. And when I say hard, I mean, they would pray with groaning, with crying, with wailing, with all kinds of, all kinds of different ways that they would pray. They would pray. They would go on. They would be on their face before God for hours, just crying out. Today, we're taught the exact opposite, that we're supposed to just rest in the Lord, and that's what causes things to happen. Uh, people used to teach that it was that that prayer was like giving birth, that when Elijah prayed for rain, and this is a fact, this is scriptural, that when Elijah prayed for rain, he went into the birthing position. That's what it says whenever he, he sat down. And he stuck his head between his knees. He was going into the birthing position. And he prayed for hours and hours. And he kept asking his servant if there was any rain or if there any was any clouds. And he had to keep praying and praying and praying in that birthing position until his servant came back and said that there was a cloud the size of a man's hand. And that's whenever he knew that he had the the answer. The people back in the old school days, they used to call it push. Pray until something happens. I say old school, like back when I was a kid that they called. Pray until something happened. And a lot of, one thing a lot of people used to do is they would have a prayer closet or a room or something. Some people would even, uh, I know a lot of housewives back in the day, they just had a carpet in the middle of their living room. And what they would do is they would, when they needed something from God, when they needed a response, they would go in that prayer closet or on that carpet or wherever their office was, or whatever, and they would refuse to leave until God answered their prayers. David Hogan, who you you guys have heard me mention many, many times throughout these interviews and podcasts, for those of you who've been listening, because he's one of those heroes of the faith to me, and I would, I would love to get an interview with him one day. But one thing that he regularly does, and it's changed over the years, but I know in the beginning, and I'm sure he still does sometimes. Is they they do forty day fasts, where they drink no no water for a, not the whole forty days, but for a long period of it, no food, and he would he and his wife in separate rooms. They would lock themselves in separate rooms, and they'd have a bathroom in the room, and so and he would stay there and he would not leave until God answered, until God encountered him. And a lot of people, that's, uh, for example, Smith Wigglesworth, he had a serious problem with anger. A lot of people don't know this, but he had an anger problem whenever he got saved. And so he, he used to snap at his wife and snap at people and he was mean. And so he locked himself in a closet to pray and he refused to leave until God took his anger away. And God actually answered him. And whenever he came out of that off, whenever he came out of that closet, he was a, he was a man of peace. And he didn't struggle with anger again. So if you have an addiction, you have something you're struggling with, maybe lock yourself in a prayer closet and tell God you're not leaving until he takes it from you. And But that that is, I'm not going to tell you how you need to pray because I know that the mainstream belief right now is just rest in God and just sort of be, well, I don't want to sound critical of it because obviously I don't really agree with it. I don't agree. I do believe in resting in God. I believe in being in a position of rest. But I believe... It's hard to explain. It's one of the, I think that they, I think it depends on what's going on. There are some things that you can rest in. I know for me praying for a house, I told you I've been homeless for a year and I think I finally found something. I'll tell you something for me, it took a lot of fasting and it took a lot of, I spent a long, a lot of time really praying and crying out to God. And, uh, it, it didn't come immediately. I'm not at that point. I, I'm I'm not at the level that Fenny was where things just happened, but you know what? The answer is, is almost, I don't want to say anything right just yet, but I believe that the answer is here. And I believe, and I, I will tell you more about it once it's all done, but I believe that God God does answer, and I believe there are times you need to cry out. I know a lot of people, they believe, Well, even Smith Wigglesworth. Okay, even Smith Wigglesworth. He he's a good example because he did lock himself in a closet. He refused to leave until God answered, and he did that many times where he would pray and pray until God answered him. But but also whenever he prayed for somebody to be healed, he would not pray again because he believed that if you if you prayed for somebody to be healed and you declared healing over them, that if you prayed again, it was you were showing a lack of faith. So I think it's both. I think that. There are times when you need to travail. There are times when you need to go into that birthing position. And you need to, like, if you if you want anointing on your life, if you need anointing on your life and you don't have it, you need to travail. You need to lock yourself somewhere in a room somewhere. Take a You need to take two weeks off of work or whatever you got to do. Then you need to go in your room and say, I am not leaving this house and I'm going to fast as long as your health allows for it. I am going to fast and I'm going to seek God until he answers me. And, and not, not even put a time frame on it, even say, and if God doesn't answer me in those two weeks and I have to go back to work, I will keep fasting until God answers me. I know a young man, this is years ago, whenever I first started out in missions, whenever he, he said, I need God to speak to me. He had this thing that was going on in his life and he said, I need God to speak to me. And so he started fasting and he spent all of it. He still had to work. He was still going about his regular life and he refused to stop fasting and praying in tongues. As long as he could. If he when he was working, if he needed to talk to people, he talked to people. But otherwise he was praying in tongues under his breath and he was fasting and he was seeking God and he refused to back off of it. And one day he was walking down the street with some friends. Thankfully they're from the church. So they had kind of they knew what he was doing. They were what he was walking down the street with these friends, and all of a sudden he collapsed to the ground. And not because he was sick or anything, but because the Holy Spirit came on him right in the middle, right in the middle of walking fell to the ground, and God started giving him visions and revelations and anointing. And he had been seeking. Remember, Daniel had to seek God for 21 days before he got a response. And that's a. this is a lost form of prayer these days. People don't travail anymore. And I'm not going to tell you how you need to pray. If you just want to rest all the time, <laughs> you go ahead and you rest all the time. But I will say this. I see a lot of people talking about resting, and they rest all the time, and they never contend, and they never travail, and they also never get any of their prayers answered, and they just chalk it up to not being God's will. And I will leave it at that, let you think about that, because people like Finney travailed, and they got answers. Finney left his job as a lawyer, and he never went through formal ministry training, but he did receive a license to preach. However, he was sent to a small town in Jefferson County, New York, called Evans Mills, which is still a small place. In the 2010 census, it says that there are, there were 620 people living in that town. Fenny went there because he was an unknown, and he was commissioned there for six months to minister in the Female Missionary Society. He started going to some of the local churches and asking if he could preach, which at first they were happy to have him. But he started getting more and more dissatisfied with the ministry because while he was preaching, he was preaching his heart out in all these different churches and the people weren't really responding. He said that the people felt no conviction when he preached and this really bothered him. Finally, he got so sick of it that he was one day he was preaching at this Baptist church and he could tell that the people were there just for the social stuff. They were just there for music. They were just there for the coffee. They were just there for whatever, to have fun and hang out. And they didn't care about what he was preaching. They didn't care about the gospel message. Keep in mind, as he is, what we're about to talk about, that he was a guest speaker at a church and the Baptist leaders are there listening to him preach in their congregation. I just want to say right now, I know Finney did this, but I I would not recommend you do what he did because unless the Holy Spirit is really leading you to do it because it's just uh not not good etiquette and it's just it's just rude <laughs> just what to do this without talking to the pastor because he didn't know the pastor the pastor didn't know he' was going to do this he starts preaching to this congregation about not just coming to church but that if they were going to follow Jesus they had to forsake the world not live in sin and totally commit themselves to Jesus now that doesn't sound so bad right and then he told them that if they they didn't do that, they weren't even really Christians. And that they needed to make a decision right then, right there, to commit to Jesus or to reject him. He told them if that if they were willing to give up everything to follow Jesus, to stand up right then and there. And this is how cold they were. They all, this is what he said, they all just looked at each other and didn't stand. So he told them in their own words so let me just clarify in case I went too fast for you. He's preaching in the church. He tells them that they are so cold that they're barely even Christians, if Christians at all. And that right then and there, he was telling them, you will make a decision to follow Jesus hundred percent right now, or you're rejecting him. And he said, stand up right now. If you decide to follow Jesus hundred percent, and they didn't stand up. And so then he said, because they were probably dumbfounded. They were completely confused with what was happening and didn't know what Finney was doing because he's this guest speaker. And so Finney says, "'Then you are committed. "'You have taken your stand. "'You have rejected Christ and his gospel. "'You are witnesses one against the other, "'and God is witness against you. "'This is explicit, "'and that which you may remember as long as you live, "'that you have publicly committed yourself "'against the Savior.'" Can you imagine hearing a preacher say that in church? He would never be invited back, and the people would probably sue him and the church for emotional damages or something these days. He told them that he would come back the next time, the next night, and those who wanted another chance would have it then. So everybody left except for this one confounded Baptist deacon who didn't seem to know what to do with what had just happened for a minute, but finally he this deacon, he was he was in charge of. The, this is why Finney was the was the guest speaker. The the Baptist pastor was away, and so thankfully this deacon, he was a man of God, and he gathered himself together. He came to Finney with a smile, and he said, "Brother Finney, you have got them. They cannot re- rest under this. Rely upon it." And so Finney and this man, they both agreed to spend the next day fasting and praying. So again, travailing for the next evening's meetings. The next day while they were doing this, Finney received several threats by the congregation. They threatened to tar and feather him, to beat him, to do all kinds of things to him because of what he said. That night though, when Finney began to preach, he said the Holy Spirit came on him so powerfully that it was like opening up a battery on the people. And I don't think that means a battery like like we think of a battery, like, a, like an energizer battery. Pretty sure he was talking a battery, like a line of... Um, infantrymen shooting rifles, just shooting like a whole row of rifles or or, um, a cannon battery as well. It could have been like cannons. I, I mean, I think it's semantics either way. But he said, a spirit of conviction came over the people and rested so heavily on the people that they lowered their heads more and more until they couldn't even raise them. What's amazing is that whenever the sermon ended, think about this. This is amazing. I love this about Finney. What's amazing is that when the sermon ended, he felt like God told him not to ask for a response, but to leave them with the conviction. So he just stopped. The service ended with no response, which if you don't know, that is the opposite of what they teach you in ministry school. You're supposed to have people make a decision at the end of every single service, which Finney usually did. But in this particular this particular service, the Holy Spirit told him to let them stew in their conviction for a while, which sounds kind of mean, but you know what? Revival is all about transformation. As I've said in this podcast before, that's why I don't focus so much on miracles because most people think that revival is all about miracles. Miracles happen all day, every day, guys. I have seen it. I, that I can... They do, I'm telling you. They happen all day, every day. They're pretty common. In the States, people seem to think that they're not common. People think that they, they don't exist. Well, I'm telling you, they do. They happen all day, every single day. God is active and God is moving all day, every day, doing miracles. That is not revival because it happen all the time. What uh, What is revival is transformation of hearts. That is revival. That's why I call this revival carriers. It isn't all about the miracles. It is about people who are bringing transformation in their sphere of influence. So he preached, he let them stew in their conviction, and people just got more and more angry. As a matter of fact, the, the next evening when he had the, the third meeting, one of the men who had been in the previous meetings and felt so convicted, he brought a loaded pistol to the evening meeting with a plan to kill Finney. That's, that's how offensive this sermon was to him, how convicted he felt. What was amazing, though, is that while these days, well, okay, let me just, let me rephrase this. While these days, today, uh, sermons are uh, so seeker-friendly They are inoffensive. They're soft. Finney's meetings, they were completely packed out as offensive as he was because his offense was not there. Just offend some people. I know a lot of preachers who purposefully say things to offend people, but it's just offending people. It's not bringing conviction. There's a guys there. Those you preachers out there, there is a big difference between offending people just for the sake of offending people and actually bringing conviction. You have to weigh those out. Finney was bringing conviction. He wasn't just saying offensive things for the sake of saying offensive things and getting a rise out of people. Finney's meetings were packed out, and the Holy Spirit was so heavy in that place that this man with a pistol halfway through the sermon fell out of his chair groaning and then started shrieking that he was sinking into hell. Then, as Finney said it, This created a great excitement, which is old timey talk for the Holy Spirit broke out and started slapping people around. It was so intense that Finney stopped preaching and spent the rest of the service praying for the man with the pistol, having no idea what that man's intentions had been. Again, travailing. He spent the whole service praying for that man. It wasn't, and I don't want to, I don't, I'm not knocking this because I do this too. Okay. Because sometimes you have so many people, you can't pray for them all but it wasn't just the walk by and tap somebody on the forehead or just breathe on their face or, or whatever. He, he legitimately st- put time into this man because he could see the Holy Spirit moving. That's something Randy Clark says that really changed me. When Randy Clark said that if you want to be successful, if you want to look like a genius in ministry, Look at where the Holy Spirit is putting favor and put your energy into that, and then you will have success. And so that is what I've tried to do. I think I've said that before on this podcast before, so I won't, I won't expound on that anymore. So he 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 stops preaching. Preaching. He spent the rest of the service praying for the man with the pistol, not knowing what was going on. And that man, of course, got saved. And after that, to put it lightly, revival broke out in Finney's, Finney's ministry for the rest of his life. There was no. It was a constant string of revival after revival from there there are seriously guys seriously countless testimonies that would take hours and hours and hours to report that little excitement that finney talked about it sparked revivals that were so powerful that they still have deep impacts worldwide and i'm telling you guys you need to get this book it needs to be in your library the original memoirs of charles E. finney it, because there's so much in there I just can't get into today. But that little excitement that Finney talked about sparked revivals. Man, they, they had such a deep impact on the world, all across the world to this day. Remember, this is before the Pentecostal movement. The stuff that Finney was doing was so different. The, the stuff that the Holy Spirit was doing through Finney was unheard of. Along with, along with that power, there was actually a huge amount of persecution as well. He faced what so many missionaries and so many dedicated ministers face, which was serious sicknesses as well. This is something a lot of people don't understand because preachers like Finney and Wigglesworth and myself, people who believe in healing, people who believe that God heals today often deal with pretty serious sicknesses in their own bodies. And at one point, Finney, he was so sick, he was coughing up blood even while he was ministering. He was probably dying. And this is happening while people are getting healed in his meetings. Most people don't understand. Smith Wigglesworth, he had kidney stones and he would bleed, he would, uh, um, I'm trying to keep this from not being graphic, but he would bleed through his pants because they were slicing him up so much inside in his, in his urine and everything. He, it would just leak out and and he would bleed through his pants and he had a a nephew that was deaf and people would constantly deride him and constantly say, if God really does heal, why is your nephew deaf? And Wigglesworth is, Wigglesworth's response was, uh, if you can tell me why Elisha was bald, I'll tell you why, why my, my nephew, you know what I should do, I should do a podcast on Smith Wigglesworth because I talk about him so much. But, People don't understand the way that, yes, we're supposed to walk in victory, and no, God does not give you sickness, and no, it is not a test from God, and no, God is not the author of sickness and death. God brings life. It is the enemy that brings sickness and death, and uh, I don't want to go into all the doctrines on that. That's maybe another time, but what I will say is this. I believe that it is 100% always God's will to heal, and it is always God's will for you to be healthy, but here's the truth. And I'm going to tell you from myself, from my own personal thing. And I feel like I've already said this in another podcast, so sorry if I'm repeating myself, but this is what I believe. I know for me, I have seen so many people healed of so many things. I mean, every, tumors shrinking in my hands, broken bones coming together in my hands. I have seen people at the brink of death, people with AIDS come back. one man we prayed for, he was a he was like a skeleton, and he had AIDS uh, in Panama, and God healed him. Doctor verified, verified healed. He is still alive today. He is working, and all this stuff, and uh, and yet I have problems in my body that have not gone away. I I uh, pretty much pr- pr- just about broke my toe in Argentina and it and I never went to the doctor for it and it still hurts every time I put any pressure on it. My the ligaments in my knee have been completely destroyed whenever I was playing soccer with orphans in, in Panama. I got majorly injured, still not healed today. And the doctor said I need surgery and all this, which I haven't had. And uh, people wonder how you preach healing but you have things in your body. And I'll tell you, the Bible says, As your faith is, so be it under you. And I will tell you right now. As a human, it is much easier to have faith for other people than it is for yourself. And that includes me, because I know me. I know my flaws. And I know what I preach. And I know I know that I preach that God forgives and that it is all for now. But you know what? I am still a human being, and I still have flaws, and I still struggle with things. And I know what the Bible says, but and I believe what the Bible says, but my faith level in some areas is just not, just not there yet. And that's just the reality. It is the truth. That's why my knee is not healed. It's not that God doesn't want to heal it. It's that my faith has not gotten to the level where it has been healed yet. And so it just hasn't manifested yet. And I believe in what Finney says. I believe I could have it today if I could get my faith there. And I'm trying. I really am trying. And so that's what happened. Finney, he was so sick. He was puking blood while God was using him to heal other people. And also there are attacks. Whenever you're in ministry, you are a target for the enemy and you get attacked and you get attacked and you get every every little way that they can. I know we have the armor of God, but you know what? Sometimes the enemy slips through the ranks a little bit. Sometimes there are chinks in the armor and because we're humans. And so sometimes even people like Finney who had such revival there, you get sick. The enemy comes and he tries to kill, steal, and destroy. And so he was doing all of these things. He mostly stayed in New York and a lot of it in smaller rural communities. It's amazing. You would think he would be this mega preacher, but he really loved the the places that were humble. He was led, he was so led by the Holy Spirit that it was pretty tough to be around him or to partner with him. You've seen how argumentative he could have been. He was a debater. All these things. He, when he made this story it's a whole, a whole like a whole chapter in his book. So I'm not, I can't tell all of it. But whenever he married his first wife, Lydia, they had been married for like a day. And he went to go preach in a nearby, da- a nearby town. He goes and preaches that town, and he stayed there for a while, like weeks, without telling his wife. And he he was supposed to just go for like a meeting, and revival broke out. And he ended up being there for weeks. And finally, his wife sends him a letter. It's like, "Hey, where are you? Where are you, Charles? You coming home? We just got married." And so he gets on his horse and he starts traveling back home. Ends up stopping for a night in this in this other church and speaking there. Revival broke out there again, and ended up staying for like two months. So he got married and then didn't see his wife for weeks on end, and didn't tell her. Didn't ask for. He, it wasn't a family discussion. Just he saw, okay, God's moving, so I'm not. I'm gonna camp here. He was like the Israelites. They would camp until God stopped moving and then they would move camp. And so that's that was Finney. That was what he did. And so it was I can, you can only imagine what it must have been like being married to this guy or being partnered with him. The, superma- the supernatural miracles also got bigger and bigger and bigger as he grew in the ministry and the revivals grew in New York. One of the most popular testimonies from Finney's life is the one that he himself said was the most spectacular, spectacular to him, which was that one day he was invited to visit a cotton factory. And when he arrived, a woman who was one of the employees who was critical of his ministry, she made a snarky comment to the other employees while they were all working at these uh, thread mills. They were making thread out of the out of the cotton. And she made this snarky comment to one of the other employees while Finney was standing right in front of her. And she and the other employees started laughing at Finney. And Finney didn't say a word. He just fixed his gaze on her. Can you imagine? Uh, He he had the most intense stare, the most intense gaze. And having this man come and just, and he was 6'3", so he was a tall dude as well. So he was imposing and the Holy Spirit on him. He was like a legend. And he fixes his gaze on this woman. And when he did this, she broke the thread that she was working on. She tried to fix it, but she couldn't. She started fumbling. And the Holy Spirit came on her so powerfully that instead of continuing to laugh at Finney, she started weeping. And then the Holy Spirit started spreading over to other people, the other people who had laughed at Finney, and they all started weeping. And it just spread like dominoes falling down throughout the whole cotton mill. And the owner of the mill, who was a Christian, he was the one that had invited Finney to come visit. He shut down the whole factory and asked Finney to preach to his workers. That man had 3,000 employees. He brought them all into the main meeting hall where Finney preached, and the Holy Spirit moved in such a powerful, spectacular way that within just a few days of Finney's visit, almost all 3,000 people had given their lives to Jesus. This is without a doubt the most popular of the stories in Finney's revival. Most people who know about Finney have heard that story, but I actually, honestly, okay, now I know that I know that Finney said that was the, for him the most powerful. But I actually think that people have m- more focused on that story because it was one of the most, it's one of the most mainstream and tame of the miracles in, in that happened in Finney's meetings because it was. It was revival through salvation, but not a lot of the supernatural manifestations of Finney's meetings are talked about. And we see this all the time in the history books. Preachers, because they don't want to be too extreme, they don't want to offend anyone, when they share about moves of God, they stick to the safest stuff. Usually what happens, there's a, a thing called Mission Drift. There's a book called Mission Drift, actually, that you should read. Maybe I'll put that in the the show notes, Mission Drift. Um uh, one of the things that, that happens is the the original leader of a ministry is usually the most extreme. And after that person dies, other people who are less extreme, who didn't have to fight like they did, take over the ministry. And usually for them, and, and this is not around the board, okay? This is, this is not across the board, so I'm not criticizing this in general because I believe in inheritances and ministries and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of times the people who take over the ministry, because they didn't have to go through the same thing that the, the the main guy did who founded it, they often will tone down what the original person taught because it becomes, I don't want to say this in a really negative way because, because but this is just a fact. Okay. It's just, it's treated more like a business They didn't fight for it through travail and through prayer like the original guy did. So for them, it's more about keeping it going and it becomes more business-like. And so they will tone down the more extreme things that the original person believed in and taught on in order to maintain the the older people, the people who are giving the money, all that kind of stuff. And so uh, they stick to the safest stuff. This is especially true in conservative denominations, they don't talk about their own history, like the Methodist denomination, they deny the, which I'm part of a free Methodist church here in Pennsylvania. So I'm not, I'm not knocking it at all, but the Methodists, in general deny that God is active and focus on John Wesley's missionary journeys and the whole quote that everybody knows that he lit himself on fire and the Holy Ghost so that other people would come and watch him burn. But they don't talk about the healings that John Wes that God used John Wesley for. They don't talk about the demons that, that were cast out. They don't talk about all the other miracles that happened with Wesley. They might talk about the revivals of Smith Wigglesworth, but they don't talk about supernatural events like when Wigglesworth was preaching on the brass heavens in one church and in front of the entire congregation, they all watched the church turned to brass in front of them the whole congregation and it it happened it all turned to brass and they were so terrified the entire congregation is shrieking for mercy of god and smith because that was his life just kept on preaching and the church transformed back to normal when he was done people they don't they talk about william booth and the salvation army and those revivals and all of the amazing things he did but even in his own the own website for the salvation army he got saved because God took him to heaven, or he actually, the Salvation Army started because God took him to heaven and showed him his life and how little he had done for the kingdom of God and how little his reward his reward was. And in the, the Salvation Army, they have turned it into just, he had a dream and they take they tone down the things that really happen. People talk about the puritans and the quakers, but they don't talk about how when George Fox would preach, they call you know they called him they called them quakers, they called him a Quaker because not only did people quake physically when they heard him preach because of the power of God, but the ground itself would tremble when he preached. The church walls would shiver. They would quake at the power of God. I am not going to do that. Uh, in this podcast, we will talk about things as they, as as far as I can tell, as truthfully as I can, even as ex- as extreme as it can get sometime, we are going to share about it with all due respect to other people's beliefs. On some occasions when Finney preached, he said that there would be flashes of light over the congregation. And I know some, some ministers that are, are very well-known. They, they had that they, to this day there are a lot of places where lightning is flashing across the ceiling and all kinds of crazy miracles are happening. There would be flashes of light of the congregation. He said in one that he said in one uh, at one particular meeting that the atmosphere itself was shimmering with the glory of God and his words were it was as if there was some kind of agitation in the atmosphere itself. In some of his meetings, people were overcome with such irrepressible joy that they had fits of spasmodic laughter that they couldn't stop no matter how hard they tried. People would suddenly manifest demons in the middle of his sermons. They would shriek in inhuman ways, and then the demon would come out and their face would shine with freedom and joy. People would start shrieking because they would see the ground open up and they thought they were falling into hell right there in church. When God moves in power, all kinds of accusations take place. People accused Finney of trying to manipulate people, of trying to cause division, of trying to steal people from the congregation, and of so many things. Uh, One thing, I, I do have to mention one man. I would be remiss if I didn't take a minute to talk about Daniel Nash. His name is barely known. He never got the recognition and fame that Finney did, but many historians of Finney and his revivals believe that Daniel Nash was most likely the main source of Finney's success. He was Finney's faithful companion pretty much from the beginning and stuck with him through thick and thin. However, Nash was not really a preacher. He was an intercessor. His role in the revivals was to go before Finney, usually a few weeks before Finney would arrive at a place. Nash would go, Daniel Nash, he would, he would go to the place and he would rent a hotel or he would stay in a host home uh, with a, at a, the church they were going to be at or whatever, and he would gather local people who were willing to pray with him, and again, they would travail they would entirely dedicate themselves to pray for the ground, for the revivals, for souls, for Finney, and they would travail nonstop for days and days, fasting and seeking God for revival in the area. And it happened, guys. So maybe we need to take that into account instead of just trying to rest all the time and not have revivals happen. How about we actually travail in God? Then when Finney arrived, The hard ground and the spirit had been broken and the spirit, the Holy Spirit, could move freely. Even during revivals, the meetings themselves, Nash would often not go to the meetings in order to be in intense prayer while Finney was preaching. Another important thing to mention about Finney himself, because I've talked about racism in the church in past episodes, particularly in the episodes on William Seymour and Lucy Farrow. Go back and listen to him if you haven't. But Finney... He was one of the few preachers who was openly against slavery and refused, think of this, he even refused to allow slave owners to, to take communion in his meetings. Also, Charles Finney, he invented, along with the Holy Spirit, the altar call. In those days, one of the biggest sins that people feared was pride. So showing emotion or exerting in any way your feelings was considered a sin. It was considered it was considered pride. It was it was calling attention to yourself and thinking that you should have more attention than God did. That's the way they saw it, and that's actually where this reserved sort of cowboy culture, the the masculine macho culture, came from. Uh, not showing emotions. It came from that whole thing of not standing out because it was considered pride. It was considered a humiliation to yourself to show emotion in public. Which again, that's why some of these things in Finney's meetings, people screaming and falling over, for them, it it would have been, you knew it was God because it would have been a humiliation for people to do that. So whenever in those days, because it was so discouraged to show emotion, that whenever people came to the Lord in church, they were encouraged to do so in secret in their seats and to not tell people because it would be considered pride to tell people of this great thing that had just happened to you. The result, of course, meant that people couldn't tell other people that they were Christians. So they couldn't show change in their life because it was considered pride. So they would go right back into sin because they were discouraged from putting into practice what they believed. Charles Finney, of course, thought that this was ridiculous and that the Bible clearly says you must publicly confess your faith. So he started having altar calls in his meetings, where people were expected to come up and tell everyone that they got saved. And Finney, this is, of course, a mainstream practice in the church now, but back then it was not. It was considered a sin, and so Finney was grilled incessantly for this. He was, being, he was always being accused of being arrogant and encouraging people to be filled with pride by walking in front of the church and telling everyone what God has done for you. That was a proud thing. We call it a testimony now. They called it pride back then. He also taught that people could backslide and lose their salvation, which was something totally against the prevailing Calvinist teachings of those days. Finney completely revolutionized the church in many ways and paved the way for the Pentecostal movement that would happen not long after his death. Charles Finney lived the entirety of his life focused on revival, preaching the gospel. He lived to a ripe old age of 82, preaching the gospel all the way until he died on August 16th, 1875. And I wish there was more time to go in depth into Finney. I'm telling you, I feel like I barely even tapped the touched on the life of Finney, and this is this episode is we're going on an hour and a half now, and I for you listeners it may not even it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel to me like I've been recording for an hour and a half, and you may be saying what it's already over, and that's because Finney's life was so powerful it was so awesome, and I feel like I barely even tapped into it, but this is like a full episode that I've been talking about him guys, and so I'm telling you. I'm telling you to go and get this book because it is hundreds of pages. Let me see. It's 400, 430 pages on Finney and you will get so much out of it and it will change you. It is so, so powerful. And so um, there you have it. That's, that is a, a brief over an hour and a half, but it's a brief overview of Charles Finney and I hope that you were blessed I hope that I, you don't feel like you got left hanging too much. I hope you got enough out of this that you feel like it was worth the time you put into it. But check out the show notes, guys. If you're interested in supporting this ministry, we do still have some of the the OG Revival Carrier shirts. Remember, we, they were 20 uh, uh, limited edition shirts. I still have a few of them left. So if you're interested, let me know. I will hand make one for you right here in the shed, unless I'm in my new house by then. Then I will make it in the other shed. And uh, please share... Help us get the word out about this podcast because, uh, well, I don't, I don't want to go, I say this every single time, but it's just because I appreciate you guys doing it so much. And so, uh, next bio, I might do Smith Wigglesworth. You know, I'm thinking about it. I talk about him so much. I should just do Smith. Shouldn't I? I really should. So I think I'll do Smith Wigglesworth next time. And, uh, man, you're going to enjoy these interviews that are coming up. They are so powerful stay tuned. Have a great weekend. I hope you had a wonderful weekend that you were blessed and I will see you on the other end for the next interview and as I prepare for the next bio episode as well. God bless you all. Love you. See you next time.